Welcome to the 12th episode of ProShip ParcelCast. Uh, in this episode, we'll be covering carrier concerns such as budgeting, capacity, and contracts. This week, I'm your guest host, John Wells, head of partnerships here at ProShip, uh, going on my first full year as of this October. Today, we have a distinguished guest, Justin Kramer. Justin, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Justin Kramer, one of the co-founders of ProShip. Been doing this for about 21 years now, helping small parcel shippers execute high volume shipping. Thank you, Justin. We also have our guest, Nate Skyber, on this week's podcast from LPF Spin Management. Nate, would you mind telling us a bit about yourself um, and what LPF does? Sure. Thanks, John. So I'm Nate Skyver. I'm the founder of the LPF Spin Management, and we focus on working with e-commerce parcel shippers to help them negotiate better parcel contracts and source the right carriers and services which align to their e-commerce shipping strategy. Thank you very much. All right, so moving on, you know, we briefly uh, talked about this in the intro, but really today we'd like to get two different viewpoints um, as we kind of talk of these things. So, you know, Nate, from the consultant's point of view and Justin from being in the multi-carrier shipping industry for, you know, the last 20 years, as you just mentioned, I think it'll be really helpful to see both viewpoints on some of these items and how we might approach it differently, but, you know, what's best in the end for our, our mutual customers. Let's talk through carrier diversification. I, Nate, I'm going to start here with you uh, since you're the guest of honor today. So right, let's start with a simple one. You know, what's the value to a shipper in diversifying their carrier mix? Well, there can certainly be, I think, several areas of value. One in today's environment is, I think, helping to provide options around pet capacity, mostly you know, or at origin, pickup capacity. And that's one thing that we'll, we'll probably talk about quite a bit, but uh, having more than just one, two, or even three carriers in place sometimes enables a certain amount of flexibility for retail shippers. Uh, it, it decreases the operational risk of relying upon one or even two carriers for nearly all of your shipping needs. And at the same time, it, it can at times help to uh, mitigate some increased expense, which uh, has been something that shippers have been dealing with quite a bit in the last 12 to 18 months. And by adding carriers to your carrier base, it helps to give you options to to manage some of that expense. As a follow-up question to that, you know, past couple of years, what have you seen retailers doing in this regard? Is this something that you've seen that everyone's taken this up? It's a slow migration. You know, what are, what are your thoughts on that? It has been, I think, a, a varied response. And I'm interested to hear Justin's perspective on this too because uh, my background before I started consulting as well was in retail so I've got a, a network of some larger retailers but then also smaller e-commerce shippers that I work with more so now and I think there's been a progression in the last say 12 to 18 months where there's been more awareness of the need to diversify your carrier base so there's been more retailers to to adopt it uh, than there had been say before 2020. But interestingly, you know, some of my contacts that I've known for quite a while have had intentions of diversifying their carrier base. They went through, they you got the project together at the beginning of the year saying, we're going to add three, four or five carriers, and then it's June and they hadn't done it yet. And so that's not you know, representative of everybody, but it definitely, I think, uh, was something that I was a little surprised by about maybe the, the speed at which those changes aren't being made, I guess, is, is the best way to say it. 
Yeah, Nate, I, I think the, you've got a good point there. There's a lot of what what ProShip would consider a mid-sized shipper that they're still single carrier when for business continuity reasons alone, you want to start at a certain, once you had a certain logistics spend, you, you definitely want to diverse to start diversification just for business continuity reasons. Always give yourself a backup. Maybe it's not a regional, maybe it's just a secondary national. The methodology by which a company attempts to diversify their carriers can matter a lot. If you are putting in a multi-carrier shipping software, it becomes a lot easier to go ahead and very easily add carriers in the future. So maybe you're starting with just the secondary national or maybe the United States Post Office, but in the future you want to start adding the regionals, the hyper-regionals, the same days, all that. Having multi-carrier shipping software in place first eases all of those transitions later. And many companies aren't, aren't ready for that. But I will say that, that what we've seen in the last 10 years is the spend threshold, the threshold at which it starts to make business continuity sense has continued to lower. It used to be $100 million or more of, of logistics spend. And that's when you wanted to do the diversification. And for some types of customers, maybe three PLs, that's diversification may be required at a $20 million spend or less. It, so it really does, but we're going to talk a lot about retailers today. A lot of what we're talking about today does apply to manufacturers, 3PLs, pharmaceuticals, all of these various companies that now have a hand in small parcel and LTL shipping that may not have been doing that 20 years ago. Yep, Justin, it's a great point on the, the multi-carrier shipping solution. And if you're able to do that, if a retailer can do that, they've they've justified it, it's in the, the solutions in place or it's going to be implemented shortly, then you, you really have, it's imperative to leverage it and properly. And part of that is then to use the capability, I think, to add carriers and to be able to have that flexibility. So it's definitely something, and we might chat more about it, about the, the need to be able to justify maybe that project, but if it's already there, you got to use it. Exactly, exactly. And the 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 other thing that that I think everybody came to realize in the last two years is just because you have the major national carriers doesn't mean you have you protected yourself from a capacity standpoint. Uh, Nate, I know you're aware we're expecting a five million package a day deficit in capacity. That will probably not be as big next year, and maybe the year after that we'll actually have surplus capacity amongst all the networks. But let's face it, something new will change. The consumers may want same day. Consumers may want a different type of solution. And if you're not prepared to pivot, if you're not prepared to do ship from store, curbside pickup, BOPUS, all from the same software, you may be setting yourself up for, for difficulties, difficulties that will be friction for your customers. And let's face it, customers are looking for the easiest thing to do. You said a 5 million deficit. That's just this year for this peak season? Per day, right? Per day. That's wow. the yes. Now that was uh, the number, at least the source that I usually quote is, is from Carol Tomei from UPS. Is that right, Justin? Correct. Yeah, that's right. I actually was okay. from your article that I picked that number up as well. Oh, obviously, she's in a position to to know that, I think, uh, from a total market standpoint. But yes, I, I agree is that 
the the situation that we're in now, we being, I guess, all you know, retail or even just parcel shippers in the U.S., is that regardless of the source or what the, the number truly is, there is definitely a capacity shortfall compared to demand. And to your point, adding carriers for the sake of doing so doesn't necessarily you know, solve that problem. But doing it very specifically to serve a need either for your customers, so you mentioned ship from store, or to um, you know, speed up delivery in some cases, or to cover a certain market or area of, of the country, that helps to to provide some of that flexibility and and you know mitigate some risk while at the same time you know servicing you know customers better from a uh, an experience standpoint. So that's all un unfortunately uh, driven from some of the challenges we have with capacity. To ask questions, a follow up. You know, these are all the reasons to diversify. Let's look at the other side of the coin. What were to happen if if retailers are not diversifying their carrier mix? What are some of the downfalls? Well, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll start. I think some of the downfalls you know, can be that it impacts the customer from an experience standpoint, the delivery predictability uh, from a capacity perspective. And I've, it's been pretty public, well, I'll just say like last holiday season, it was pretty public about capacity being constrained, but uh, volume caps is a good example being issued by, by the carriers. And when that happens, and I say the carriers, it was mostly UPS and FedEx, uh, then if you don't have alternatives in place already that have a portion of your volume that they're servicing, you have to you have two options, or really one. Uh, one is to, to try to scramble and, and add a carrier during peak season, which is not recommended and ever. And two is to deal with what you have. And that may end up being that you don't have all your volume picked up every day. And so you end up having to roll that over to the next day. And it's it's delivered you know, later to the customer. Or you start to have to upgrade packages because uh, they're not being shipped when you are picked up when you expect them to be. So I think really the, the most obvious impact from a, a shipper standpoint is it can be in a very immediate one to the end customer. And that's not what you want to have. Yeah. And, and John, if I could add to that, I would say any other year, it is always fraught and difficult to add a carrier late in the season, late third quarter, early fourth quarter. This year, the carriers may not even allow it. And I'm not sure if this is going to happen next year as well. But uh, this year, many of the carriers have have had new capacity cutoff times. If you're not shipping by X date, you will not be shipping with that carrier this year. What you just touched on really managing the capacity of being new to this industry, it seems like this wasn't necessarily something that was done in, in years prior, right? 2019, 2018 back. This capacity management is somewhat of a new concept or it's much more pronounced than it had been previously. Justin, I don't know if you want to touch on that. Yeah, yeah. So, so what I'd say is, is that when we look at 2018 and prior, only about the top 10% of our largest customers, and they were all retailers. Okay, so this really wasn't something that affected many of your uh, manufacturers, your 3PLs, pharma, DoD, anything like that. It was really your top retailers that they had. Uh, the term was often thrown around as quotas. Right. And when I first heard it, I'm like, well, we're definitely going to hit minimum quota. 
no, 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 it wasn't minimum quotas. It was, it was maximums. And, and so, so if you were the type of customer that was shipping tens of millions of packages a year and not just, you know, 10 million, but when you were really up there in the numbers, yeah, you were asked by the carriers as part of a good stewardship in order for them to provide great experiences to just about everybody that there would be times that you would cap some of your volume through them. Okay. And we saw, like I said, we saw this happening probably from 2015 on for those largest carriers because there was some, and I, I forget which Christmas it was, but there was one where the carriers did have a little too much and, and on-time delivery dropped from 97, 98% down into the upper 80s. And everybody was terrified for that year. So that was the result, right? So these things have been around a while, but we didn't expect them to be as commonplace as they have been for the past two years. Yeah, what I would, would add to that, so I can confirm a lot of what Justin just said about you know, the top 10% or large retailers. I was in that world for quite a long time. And absolutely, there was a, a process in place with, with the carriers and with large customers to manage the volume. And so depending on what retailer or what carrier you're with, it might have been called something. I'm more accustomed to a, an allocation. Uh, as opposed to a quota, but same difference, I guess. Uh, and and so it was more of a, a process of, of, I wouldn't call it partnership, depending on the situation, may have been a little bit more one-sided, but at least was a process. It wasn't completely just dictated from one side to the other. It was uh, certainly not public the way that it is right now. And the amount of volatility around capacity was not anything close to what it is now so so then it was more so about for the entire season um, we're going to look at it and plan and then in a, a window of maybe the eight to 12 days around the end of november through the first week of december it's going to be really tight and, and pretty strictly enforced otherwise it's just making sure that everybody's on the same page with forecasted volume and adjusting as needed now it's it's far more granular detailed and, and far more stressful so how how does the shipper you know deal with that stress? That you know what can they do to kind of manage that complicated task of managing that network capacity and making sure they are hitting minimums and not hitting maximums, especially through the peak season. Yeah, and and I'll I'll say through technology. I mean, really, you don't want to have to do this manually. You don't want to have to set things every single day and determine that this picker is all going UPS, this picker is all going FedEx, this picker is all going postal. You'd prefer to be able to set something in your warehouse management solution, in your OMS, or in your shipping software. And of course, if you've got multi-carrier shipping software, it's probably in the best position to balance the shipment across your entire network. So if you are true omni-channel, you're shipping from store, you're using your accounts to ship from 3PLs, and those are being counted against you as part of your quota or allocation. Um, you're shipping from your warehouses. Maybe you're even shipping on your accounts from your manufacturers. And being able to track all of that, or in some cases, maybe maybe those external ones, you're just going to assume a certain amount and only be able to enforce what you've got in-house. Being able to control that at the very last second, right before that label application, provides the greatest amount of flexibility. If you can't do that, well, then you're going to have to deal with it either in your waiving processes or something of that nature as you drop those orders into the warehouse. Nate, did you have anything to add, add to that? 
Well, I, I absolutely agree that they, from a technology standpoint, like that has to be in place in order to even close to efficiently, but efficiently manage the process. Otherwise, you don't have visibility to not just the, the planning portion of it, but the execution and when you either issues arise or you, or you have a variance to your forecast or to getting close to the, the limits and thresholds of what the carrier capacity is. It's incredibly complex under normal circumstances. And when you add just the, the stress of peak season and from an execution standpoint, managing it, you've got a lot of other things going on. If you don't have the right solution in place to provide the visibility, uh, the, be able to, the ability to react when you, you need to, hopefully it's not too often, um, you're going to be blind. You won't be able to inform you know, cross-functional partners or leaders within your organization. And uh, when I say you, I'm talking about the people who are really responsible for the results, for executing this, this shipping program during peak. And if, if that solution is not in place, then that person's job is, is infinitely harder. Going back to kind of some of the things we've just talked about, you know, expanding your carrier capacity, your diversification. You know, what advice, Nate, this to you, uh, would you give to someone, a retailer that came to you and said, hey, I'm looking to onboard some new carriers now? Well, I mean, there's a, a couple of things. So if it's, if it's literally now, because on the calendar, we're real close to peak, uh, then my first point of advice would be do it very, very quickly. So uh, you, you need to hurry. Uh, but um, aside from that is that, but still kind of in, in that same vein, is being very intentional is from a, a shipper standpoint and diversifying your carrier base, uh, doing that kind of casually or, or lightly to say, we've got two national, both national carriers in place and one regional, we wanna add one or two more. Uh, that's not going to work. So you, you need to actually identify the volume that you need support for, be it capacity, uh, transit time, expense, you know, kind of mitigation, and be very specific about it, and then determine which provider or providers that you need to go directly to and, and not just start the conversation, but present the opportunity, go through it, and get it done. Yeah, I've, I've got to add to that that I, I definitely agree. You have to do it intentionally. You have to understand what type of volume you're expecting to shift. And you have to understand, you, you have to have, have communicated with that new carrier and make sure they're actually capable of it. You, yeah. you can't just assume that I'm going to add the major West Coast regional, I'm sorry, major East Coast regional, and I'm going to get Mississippi delivery out of it. I'm going to get, you know, parts of uh, Kentucky or something of that nature you have to make sure it's actually going to fit what that carrier can do. And the one thing that, that I'll say is, has come up in the last 12 months is there's a lot of new carriers. There is hundreds of millions of dollars being invested in companies that didn't exist before the pandemic, right? Whereas as with some of the more seasoned ones, they may tell you no, or they may tell you that you can only have so much capacity but that's for a reason. They, they've experienced it, they've gone through it, they know how fast they can expand reliably and meet their commitment to you. If you're a large retailer and you're attempting to bring on 10, 15 even new carriers, 
not just the regionals, but the, the micro regionals, the specialties, as well as same days to try to distribute capacity everywhere. One, you have created a very complex situation in which to deploy. But number two, you're gonna wanna make sure that you are able to ramp up or ramp down a carrier very quickly if you find out that they are not actually able to live up to the expectations that you had in mind. I'll add to that, Justin, it's a great point on the you know, additional providers who have either entered the market or perhaps from a, a delivery standpoint, maybe pivoted from what used to be more kind of courier type deliveries or, or B2B commercial to residential and e-commerce delivery. In exploring, we're trying to work with those carriers. Really, the point I shared earlier about being intentional, it's even more important because there's an exploration part of that process because there's they're not as well known. And, and to your point, they you have to make sure that you clearly understand their service capabilities, do that very quickly and thoroughly so you know that also from a volume standpoint, how much they're able to, to accommodate. And doing that with many carriers at once with the intention of implementing several or, or all of them, it absolutely introduces complexity. And so I think you know, being planful about what areas of volume you need, you need support for, and then being very diligent, but still intentional about going to those even third, fourth tier providers. Um, I'm seeing that happen you know, more often than certainly we did 12 months ago. Um, and I would expect uh, that to continue really as we go forward, certainly into next year. Right, one of the things we wanted to talk about today uh, was budgeting. So, right, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. That is not a Zig Ziglar saying, that is a Roman philosopher Seneca. It's your trivia for the day, uh, for my part. But, you know, Nate, if a retailer comes to you, what, what advice would you give them? What prep work should they be doing as far as budgeting ahead of this peak season? Well, ahead of the, the peak season, you know, it's, it's interesting because you know, the budget process normally starts from a retail standpoint, kind of in well, Q3 really, but Q3 and Q4 for the following year. And so as if you look back almost a year, that budget was set uh, for 21. And then as you progress through the year, it's a it's a forecast and, and some still call it a budget to be updated. And you're updating it not just with internal information about orders and demand, but also carrier pricing and how much that has changed if you have new carriers in place and then rate changes or, or rate increases. And so for this peak season, it's shaping up to be very similar to what it was last peak season from a surcharge standpoint. And FedEx and UPS have some pretty complex surcharges in place that are volume-based in many cases on the residential side. So that is the complexity that large shippers have to deal with. But as best as possible, being able to incorporate that level of detail of, of forecasting and budgeting using that criteria for the surcharges. So determining what your exposure is of exceeding volume thresholds or the trigger points for those surcharges, that's one thing certainly for enterprise large shippers that they have to account for. And some of that information was just recently, I'll say within the last month, I guess, uh, released from UPS. FedEx has not updated theirs yet. 
for for peak season. So it'll be a little bit of a not a last minute, but somewhat of an adjustment. Uh, so that's the the I guess par for the course is the way that it's been recently. Unfortunately, is accounting for those surcharges. The other thing uh, I think is related to order processing and order demand and demand volatility, and that's where having some process to budget for expedited shipping expense above the initial plan. And that can happen when there's a spike in, in demand. Um, say last year was, was a good example where store closures at times or limited hours maybe affected uh, retail shopping. So there was a higher percentage of online and it spiked more. Well, if that happens this peak season, then you might end up with a lot of volume in stores and or DCs that you have to expedite because there's a backlog of orders. And so that's where having some process of kind of scenario modeling what that looks like, you can start to outline what that ex increased expense might be. So what I'm hearing is a lot of this planning happened last year, right? And they have to kind of guess as best they can what those surcharges may be looking look like next year or the following year. So we'll have to add in something for that. But you know, if someone comes in and they didn't plan adequately or they didn't diversify enough ahead of time, they should just they just throw up their hands and say, oh well, I, Justin, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I've got two thoughts. One I wanted to, to add to what Nate was saying and that there's a lot of things that could be done. And there's a small logical trap that's that's here. Even if you've got your multi-carrier shipping software in place and Nate touched on it and that is fulfillment time that you may be budgeting for a certain logistics spend, but if you haven't prepared for the fulfillment process and you are executing to meet an expectation, meaning that, that like Nate mentioned, if, if I get it shipped today, I can ship it ground, but if my fulfillment process takes an extra day, I may have to ship it express. That may drive up your shipping expenses significantly more than you think. So. If you're not taking into account that you have agreed or that you are as part of your your uh, customer service customer retention process you are selling an expectation date if you don't take that into account in your budgeting you're going to find that your your fees are significantly larger okay with that though you may also find the opposite as we were talking earlier we discussed process where you may find that uh, where we found in the past that a express service from a particular zip code to a particular zip code for a certain service level was actually less than the ground service right Nate, what, what did you call that what was the uh the, the term associated with that that would be irrational pricing irrational pricing i love that term yeah so the system you know a good multi-carrier shipping software will find those irrational prices to help save you money even though they might be uh, uplifting those services actually saving you money but the reality is is that's a rarity the the reality that we're concerned about especially given the labor concerns the unexpected peaks all of these things is that your fulfillment time is going to have a negative effect on your shipment execution if you are selling a promise date so Maybe you want to uh, you want to look at removing that during peak season, something of that nature. But of course, if you're a very complex situation, John, and I think this was the initial question you were asking me towards, if you have a very complex shipping situation, it's August. You're not going to get new software in place right now. 
okay? But that doesn't mean that you're done. That doesn't mean there's nothing you can do this year. The best thing you can do this year is actually create a system for documentation. Document what is working well. Document what is working okay, but could be improved. Document what is not working at all and needs to be fixed. If you don't document those three things, by the time you get to January and February, when it's the time normally or traditionally to engage changing of your enterprise software stack, all you're gonna remember is that third department, the stuff that needs to get changed. And by not saying the things that need to be saved or the things that could just be tweaked to be improved, you're gonna be missing a lot, but you're also going to be risking that we're gonna throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're gonna change so many things, we threw out those good things you didn't wanna change. So by looking at those three things starting now, through your peak season, and then coming back together as a team, before you engage, engage your vendors, you will, you will have a significantly better experience because you'll know what you want. You'll have a prioritized list of what you want to change, and often more importantly, what you don't want to change. You know, one thing that as I hear this from the both of you is make sure to document that, that certain things are being accounted for. You know, is there any specific data that shippers should be measuring or looking out for, you know, this peak season as they as they plan for next year's capacity? Well, I, I think there are several things that to, to Justin's point that you monitor, you, you document to the best of your ability. And I, I say to the best of your ability because Often, if you're the one both planning and executing, or the team rather, not the one person, but uh, it's difficult to to document uh, what's going on because it is a it is a blur. Uh, I've I've done it myself many times, and it's it's not easy. Um, but there, there's certainly I think several things. So you develop your plan around you have your volume forecast, order forecast units. Uh, that turns into an operational plan of how you intend those packages to be shipped, different carriers and services. So you have that in place. And then I think one thing is, is to, to notate, you know, record, however you want to say it, document variances to that plan as it's happening. And to the best of your ability, why? The why is uh, a lot of times it'll be captured in data if you have it, but if it's not, then it's, it's very difficult to look back and understand everything that happened and determine you know the, the root causes of it and that helps you prioritize uh, it's not just the result but kind of the why it happened so i think that's just i'll say generally speaking i'll open that way and i don't know justin if you had any, anything to add to that yeah I, I think as much as nate and i would not like to pretend there's anything other than contract negotiation and shipping software that actually affects people's ability to execute the reality is, is is there's the way your WMS is is providing orders, wave, continuous, things of that nature. There's physical layout of the warehouses. There's training of the personnel. Um, there might be conveyor limitations that are causing bottlenecks in certain areas, and these may cascade to other things. So when we're talking about documentation, um, yeah, you, Nate's right. There's a lot of data that's gonna that's going to identify areas where you probably should have documentation maybe even the whys of it. But when you look at a warehouse, when you look at a store, you have to look at the whole thing. Uh, you have to understand, is it is there a root cause further upstream that is causing cascading failure downstream? 
is there a, a change? Is, do you have too complex of situations? Do you need to simplify? Have you oversimplified and you need to allow for more variance and more flexibility? There's just a lot that goes into it. And this is often why we find the most successful retailers, especially, they're documenting throughout their peak, all of it, you know, all the way from, from the orders being dropped, uh, maybe from the e-commerce site down, they're documenting where they're seeing the bottlenecks, where they're seeing the concerns, and then they're bringing all their vendors together early in the first quarter and saying, this is what we've seen, how much of this can we tackle? And sometimes it's even with the various members of the enterprise software stack, various uh, physical uh, vendors as well, going, well, if you change this, I can change that. And how would that cascade through the system? So these are some very complex situations that by bringing teams together, internal and external, you can make some pretty amazing changes year over year uh, that has kept many of our customers continuing to leapfrog beyond their competitors year over year. So if I'm hearing it from both of you correctly, there's no specific set of KPIs that need to be measured or data. There's no magic data, right? It's a lot of this is anecdotal by experience in addition to the data to decipher it and make sense of it later on. But it sounds like shippers really need to go through this or have had the experience or work with someone that's gone through this to kind of guide them through this process. Yeah, and John, you have to remember, each shipper has set up a unique set of situations. They have a unique set of products. They have a unique culture. They have a unique set of physical components in their warehouses and stores. And they have a unique culture that drives all these things. So yeah, unfortunately, we've created a, an infinite set of items to look at, but I mean, it can be, it can be simplified down to data flow, workflows, physical and, and data workflow, you know, it can be broken down in some basic things, you know, that any WMS vendor can, can walk you through many of those. No MS vendor can walk you through others, but it's just the data flow and the actual physical operations within your organization. And what those are, that's gonna vary by from customer to customer, even if they have the exact same software installed, because they're gonna have different physical limitations, um, uh, and different uh, cultural limitations. And I'll, I'll add something to that, Justin, just to, to wrap that point up is, um, and I agree there isn't a, kind of a universal set of, of KPIs or, or sources of data, uh, but one, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, is, is the budget or, or a forecast is probably the better, uh, better term. And that's both operationally, that forecast from an orders, units, and then packages standpoint, is something that many teams, certainly supply chain, is going to be focusing on already. But then from an expense perspective, is normally reviewing expense is is a monthly process. And you kind of, from a finance standpoint, it's a hindsight variance to the, the forecast. But having a process in place to, even if you don't have all the invoice data, which you won't, as packages are shipped, to calculate what that cost is based on your rates as you're shipping and being able to record that in some way. That helps to provide along the way insight into what variance to your forecast may be and very much will help you, you know, determine why. Um, and I, so I think that's something that's, that's helpful too. Uh, it may even inform decisions during peak about if you're favorable to forecast for some reason uh, from an expense standpoint. Uh, maybe you're a little bit conservative, 
and there's an opportunity to actually improve the customer experience and use some of that expense to upgrade packages, you don't have risk there. So go ahead and do it. So along the way, measuring against that forecast, both operationally and then with expense is, I think, one thing that might be universally uh, applicable. That's fair, right? Whether it's sales, if it's B2B, B2C, the forecast is very important. So definitely understood. One thing we touched on the last segment was, was contract negotiations. So earlier when we were talking about uh, you know, capacity management, carrier diversification, we talked about the legacy way of doing it, which is really pile it all onto one vendor and try to get the best contract you can, right? That was kind of the old way. So now when we're talking about diversifying carrier mix, and somebody has say five, six, seven or more, do they run the opposite risk? Whereas now they don't have the volume that they used to have and now they have less negotiating power with these different regional and major carriers. Uh, they, do you mind taking this one? Sure. I mean, it's, it's interesting because the, the current environment, I'll say current, like literally right now, but even the past well, pretty much 18 months and probably for the foreseeable, I'll say at least six to 12, is the pricing environment is really challenging. And so right now, that kind of, I'll call it old school mentality of trying to allocate as much volume as you possibly can with, with one vendor to drive down rates and get the best rates possible. While to an extent that's still true that you might get the best rates you can from that one provider, the value, it's a, there's a point of diminishing returns and it happens real quickly. And so you don't get as much value of putting all your eggs in one basket as you used to. Uh, that's a circumstance of a current pricing environment where it's very favorable for the carriers. Now, I think also though, because the carriers are being even selective in FedEx and UPS namely, but not just them, of the volume that they even want or allow into their network is that you're, I think, able, but you also need to take that into account and move volume to other carriers that uh, maybe isn't really preferred by FedEx and UPS. They don't always say that, sometimes they do, uh, but they be able to actually take that volume to other carriers to where it can be serviced well, still at the expense that you, uh, at least is acceptable to you and really kind of diversify that way. However, overall, in doing that, and John, you mentioned the example of five, six, seven, or in some cases more carriers, there's still a use case for the total program cost of having seven carriers as opposed to one or two. Your total shipping cost, in some cases, could actually be a little bit higher with more carriers. But by taking control of where that volume and spend is allocated to an extent, you have more flexibility and you're able to influence that expense as opposed to just being really at the at the mercy of, of one carrier essentially i'd love to add to that that one of the strategies that we've seen for decades is that the more volume i can push through a carrier the better my discounts are going to be that paradigm is kind of broken during the last two years yep i agree justin it's it has and to the point to where even fedex and ups you know recently have with high volume customers or with a lot of revenue, it is all focused on margin on, on their side, which they've got investors and, and analysts to, to appease, shareholders rather. So I don't fault them entirely for this, but uh, they're focused on margin. And so in many cases, all the volume 
thrown their way by maybe one particular shipper, if it is not profitable, then they've in some cases fired customers or presented them with rate increases, which is almost with an ultimatum. And that's what's resulted is, is those customers have left. And they're in a position to do that, which is very different, I mean, certainly than two or three years ago, but even just 18 months ago. Did I see on your LinkedIn feed, I have one of your updates that you often share that UPS's volume actually went down year over year, but their profit went up? Their, yeah, their volume, I'm trying to recite the exact number here, but their volume was down slightly, I believe, in Q2. But yes, they were far more profitable. Their uh, revenue per piece was up double digits, uh, which is quite quite good for them and not good for many shippers. I'll just say that. Uh, but yes, so they are doing very well with their uh, better, not bigger strategy. When you talk about the value of you know diversifying and, and not being tied down to one, is it also kind of implied in that that it's there's so much more complexities to shipping now. It's not just it gets there in a week or two. It's it gets there same day, next day, commits, and there's all these different lanes. So is that kind of that implied value that you're talking about with having six, seven, eight, you know, maybe more of these shippers that cover a wide array of different options? It is. That's part of I think the value is and you can use same day and next day, I think maybe not completely together, but in this example has you know, certainly same day is not something that traditional parcel carriers focus on FedEx and UPS provide as a, as a service in the way that other um, more niche providers do. But next day, of course they do, um, even you know, next day ground. But being able to utilize say final mile providers, regional carriers, that is their service. That is what they do. They focus specifically on that service area they do it, generally speaking, very, very well at a competitive price. And so if you have providers like that who have a very strong service offering, really missing an opportunity if you're not at least exploring or, or working with uh, the ones that make sense, because it's a strong suit of theirs. If you move volume, it helps uh, diversify your carrier base. And there's plenty of opportunity for FedEx and UPS to, to help with the rest of the volume. Yeah, Nate, I couldn't agree more. If if your shipping shipping spend has to go up and you have not diversified into the regionals, there's there's really a, a customer experience, customer loyalty play available here when you can start for only slightly more, starting to see more next day and two-day deliveries from some of these regionals for a very competitive price to what a, a national carrier might be a, a two or three day service. So that that is one of the few things we've actually seen. We've actually seen benefits to our customers, even pre-pandemic when they started to actually do carrier diversification is because with a, with a proper set of evaluations, the regional carriers can provide some very impactful customer satisfaction deliveries. Yeah, Justin, one thing to, to add to that, I think, is one way to think about it, and you touched on this a bit to say, if, if you're going to spend more, which in this environment, unfortunately for most, that's the case. And one way to look at it is, again, being intentional, and, it, and it's an investment. So actually, expense may be increasing, and either it's 
completely out of your control or you can take control to an extent of part of it, be intentional about it, use the providers to your point who are very strong in certain areas that either can enable entirely and say new delivery options to your customers or at the very least improve that experience uh, for the, the delivery options that you have currently. And so that's where I think it's you can consider it as an investment in that customer delivery experience as opposed to throwing your hands in the air saying, well, we're going to spend more money, so I'm just going to take it. I have a follow-up question to this, and it's, it's really based on timing. And I, I think I know the answer based on some of the previous answers uh, earlier in this parcel cast. But Nate, this is to you. If I was a retailer or a shipper and I, I came to you or I went to another consultant and I said, what's the timing if I want to get into carrier contract negotiations? You know, what would you tell them? Well, definitely not August to start the process <laughs> if you want to implement before peak. Um, but no, seriously, it it certainly depends on the situation. I'll start kind of a little bit broad and get more uh, more detailed, but of the complexity of the network of brands, the, the shipping program in place for a retailer. But I would say a good baseline to start is a duration of 12 weeks. If you're if you're actually negotiating, say you're actively bidding all the volume, so it's it's several providers at one time involved in the process, a 12-week period. Now, obviously, if you want to have, like we've talked, everything wrapped up, implemented, certainly well before September, July would be ideal, maybe August at, at very latest, then you're going to want to start by no later than the end of Q1, honestly. And for a larger retailer, one who has several carriers in place and they're looking to add more, that really should should start at the beginning of the calendar year. I mean, you can be upwards of 16 plus weeks easily for that process. And maybe if you have a, a, a less complex, you know, more simple network in place, then you can maybe take it down a little bit from that 12 week duration, but not, I would say, usually not below 10. It's just a long process to get carriers engaged and to respond along the timelines that are needed. And it certainly can get extended if if you allow it to. So there's a lot that's going to happen during this peak, especially for retailers. And a lot of planning needs to happen ahead of time for next year. How do they balance that with having to actually manage you know, what's going to be happening in the next three to four months with the planning they actually need to start thinking about or or reaching out to vendors now on how does that typically work? It can certainly be challenging, and it's it's one of those things where if I'll give two examples. So the, the one that I mentioned, John, the last question about like the timeline, that was assuming that there was kind of a, a larger project. So most, if not all, the volume was being bid. So in that regard, then I mean it is really in the fourth quarter or even late third quarter really is initiating that that communication with the providers now we won't go into details there's there's a lot of uh subtleties to doing so and not doing so with your incumbent providers and things like that so that can get really really tricky so uh, but you also can't wait until january and the first week of january just send out an rfp and say hey everybody let's go um so Really, at, at some point during the fourth, fourth quarter, it's about creating the expectation that that bid event is going to happen. And it's going to happen according to whatever timeline 
you know, that, that you have planned for it. But if it's kind of a one-off, you're looking to diversify your carrier base, or you think you probably will, I guess, kind of looking ahead a little bit, you know, pre-peak, you think coming out of peak that there's a good chance you're going to need to add one or two carriers, then that's absolutely something that you can begin that dialogue, you know, before the fourth quarter starts and have some touch points throughout just to make sure that that carrier is is ready to get into detailed discussions at the beginning of the year or if if they're in a position to do so they being the carrier you can get all that work done i mean if we're talking one or two carriers from an agreement and negotiations and getting that part of it outlined you can do that in the fourth quarter provided you've got the time and capacity you can do it then hit the ground running there in january on the project implementation piece just another did you have anything to add or additional thoughts on that? I guess the thing that I would say to shippers, whether they're 3PL, pharma, retail, whatever, is when, we, when you're looking to diversify carriers, start early, understand when you're capable of doing things. Uh, we've got some customers that branch everything off at the beginning of October. So they prepare work to go live January 1st or February 1st. Right. If you can do that, do that. Great. But if you if you have to be more traditional about it with January or February planning meetings to get things moving in uh, late first quarter, early second quarter, that's great. But I want to put one thing out there. I know we discussed this slightly with the amount of of new carriers that are showing up. Just to give you an example, uh, ProShip supported more than 40 carriers in North America before the pandemic. Since then, we've added nearly 30 additional carriers. These take time. Um, they take time to uh, to properly QA and make sure that they're going to be good general carriers for all of our customers. So make sure that you understand what your multi-carrier shipping vendor is capable of providing. If something just IPO'd yesterday um, or, or just got its first round of funding yesterday, your multi-carrier shipping software may not yet cover that. And there may be a good reason for that, there may not. But uh, as part of your decision-making process, you may want to look into what your, your provider already has, especially if you're trying to fast-track something. If you have a full proper planning cycle, you know, starting in January with deployment in, in the third quarter, testing in the third quarter, for a good solid go live well before fourth quarter, yeah, add a carrier or two. I'm, when I say add a carrier or two, I mean add a carrier or two that your vendor doesn't have, not six. Okay, that everybody's going to have a bad time if your if your multi carrier shipping vendor has to create six new engines for you. Yeah, and something with that, Justin, that, that uh, I thought of is so that example obviously was was the one where new providers, right? New providers in the market, they they aren't a part of multi-carrier shipping solutions across the board. That absolutely requires planning and awareness well in advance for obvious reasons. But even if they are, one thing I, I kind of left out or, or glossed, didn't really touch on, is uh, I kind of made it sound like it was, my part of it was focused on the contracts and the rates, which mine usually is. But what I do see happen, and this isn't unique to the last 18 months, is waiting too long to evaluate what 
the technical requirements are for adding a carrier. So best case scenario is that carrier is already uh, a part of the current multi-carrier shipping solution. Uh, but if they're not, or even if they are, is getting that part done in the discovery process alongside the pricing and the negotiations so that when there's a decision that's ready to be made about moving forward or close to it, the technical part is already vetted. It's already understand what the level of effort is. So IT has been engaged. If it's work on their part for some reason, uh, then you understand what the level of effort is. Uh, if not, then you can check the box. You can say it's part of the solution we already have, and this is how we're going to uh, implement. If that is done after the contract is signed and you're completely just going through that discovery process, that can fall apart. And uh, that's one thing I just wanted to mention because I have experienced that in on my retail side of things, but it also still happens today. The last thing I would like to talk about is the fact that that level of technical caution has proven to be uh, something to take seriously, as we have already seen at least the first new carrier I'm aware of exit the small parcel arena. So as you know, when there's a lot of volatility in a market, volatility not only means a lot of newcomers to it, but a lot of companies that are unable to sustain in that market. So we've seen this happen. It's hurt a couple of our customers. Uh, we've had to uh, scramble for them, go to other carriers to fill the capacity. So just be aware of that. Plan accordingly. Be prepared to, to switch if one of your new micro-regional or hyper-regional carriers is no longer in business. I would say if I, if I learned you know, one main thing today, it's plan, plan, plan get this stuff figured out or at least start figuring out you know ahead of time if you're thinking it's coming up soon it's already too late so uh, this has been very helpful for for me you know from a learning perspective and hopefully to our audience and nate are there any closing remarks or you know final statements you'd like to leave to the listeners out there i think just just one thing on carrier diversification which was you know a focal point of the discussion but is that if you think you have enough carriers in place just with a national carrier, even both, and a couple of regionals, and it's been that way for a while, and things, I'm doing air quotes, seem to be working well, uh, that isn't necessarily the case. And I, I think there's an argument to be made that exploration, discovery of those either new providers to the market or even existing ones that are alternatives to your current carriers, having a process in place to do that and being very intentional about it even if that results in at times of adding no carriers, having a process to explore those options needs to be in place. It needs to be a continuous process, continuously managing, monitoring the program, um, so that if you have a you know, multi-carrier shipping solution in place that can execute those new solutions, new carriers, that you are continuously reviewing it and, and being having it as a high priority to execute uh, when when it's needed. Want to learn more about carrier concerns? Visit us at www.lpfspinmanagement.com or proshipinc.com. Thank you all for joining us today. If you have any questions, just a reminder, you can reach ProShip at sales at proshipinc.com, 800-353-7774, or on our LinkedIn page, www.linkedin.com 
slash company slash ProShip hyphen Inc. We hope you join us in September for an exciting deep dive into business intelligence and optimizing your transportation spend with one of ProShip's technology partners, Invista. I'd like to thank our guests again, Nate Skyver and Justin Kramer for joining. I really appreciate your time. Thank you all very much.